What's up, gals and ghouls? John von Frankenstein here to ask, have you gotten your tickets yet? The Scared for Your Life Horror Film Festival is on Friday, October 28th at 7 o'clock, playing over at the Cinema Arts Center in Huntington. Make sure that you get your tickets and make us your Halloween plans. We hope to see you there. Heading into Hauntsville, are you? I am. I have had family out there. I just inherited Cryptex Manor. I'm Grim. Grim Cryptex. Got a ways ahead of you there, Grim. This here stretch of desert before you hit town is Uncanny Valley. Folks around here ain't quite what your kind is used to. So if you hear your name on the wind, or some folks flash you a smile that's a mite too wide or a breath too long, you just keep on walking. And whatever you do, don't stop at the diner. Welcome back to the Hauntsville Cryptcast. I'm Anthony. I'm Anna. I'm John. And I'm Grim Cryptex. And today, we're going to be talking about those possessed playthings. We're talking about dangerous dolls today. I think we've got a lot to unpack here. There is just so much doll media out there, or just this uh, inundation of creepy dolls and possessed toys. I mean, we have the Puppet Master franchise, the Demonic Toys franchise. We just got Annabelle, Robert. I think I think we've got a lot to go here, and we can't forget Chucky, the king of them all. Yeah, what great timing that uh, season two of Chucky's right around the corner. And, you know, there's so much celebration around this series and just around the property that is Chucky himself. I'm going to be honest. I refused to watch the Child's Play series, just being that one and two were arguably two of my favorite all-time horror movies. And I feel just between three and through Seed was just really a destruction of the franchise in itself. But this series really brought me back to life. And I am absolutely in love with the first season. It's definitely a real return to form. I mean, I personally, I enjoyed Cult and I enjoyed Curse. And I think as long as you watch one and two and Curse and Cult and have the backstory of Andy and boarding school... I think you're good. I think you're prepared for this franchise, but I don't think you can ever be fully prepared for what this delivers. I think you have to kind of take all of them into account, though, because every single one of the films comes up in the series, which is really impressive, the fact that they cover every single thing, because usually when you get like a sequel to something, they'll skip over at least one of the films that have come before it, whereas the series seems to tie every single even if it's really sucky, part of the Child's Play franchise into the series without making it like irrelevant to the story. Yeah, it's really impressive. Well, that's what made it so beautiful is the fact that they were even able to take um, those middle packed movies that I personally uh, didn't love and really turned it into something that now not only I can get behind, now I'm excited to watch the second season. So... Yeah, it was it was masterful, honestly. I think a lot of that credit has to go to Don Mancini having stuck with the series from the very beginning. Yes, the first movie, they made some changes to his original screenplay and kind of his ideas and the voodoo element and everything was actually something added by director Tom Holland. But he has stuck with the series for this long and it's his baby and 
you can see him doubling down on those installments that people have for years now kind of been like, all right, you can skip over those. You don't really need to watch Seed, you know, onwards. It's just that whole turn towards comedy. They manage with the series to go ahead and go back and like everyone's saying, tie up loose ends, make sure that everything is included in there because they are all important chapters within the story that is Chucky's franchise. I like that you mentioned the turn toward comedy, John, because obviously Child's Play knocks this out of the park. When you think haunted doll movies, Child's Play is number one, but it doesn't take itself fully seriously. And we really see that shift come into place, especially after two. So I kind of want to talk about what works and what doesn't with these doll movies, because obviously I named a bunch of franchises before, and most of them are just full of flops. There are just things that don't work in them. So what do you guys think it is that draws us to these films? I think that Child's Play really set out in, in setting up the, the framework and what you can come to expect from a haunted doll movie, first and foremost with the introduction of Andy as a character. You know, they're using a child as a vessel and as a way to subvert our expectations. At certain points within the first movie, we are convinced it might actually be Andy. You know, we, we kind of, until we see Chucky really playing his hand, kind of side with his mom where we're going, you know, could this little kid be responsible for everything that's going on? And that's kind of a, a highlight from the original screenplay, too, where Mancini did want to hint towards it being Andy all along. But I love that that play on that innocence being lost and, you know, having to deal with the prospect of like, oh, my God, this is a little kid that's being attached to this to this doll. I also think I'm going to go a little abstract for a second. In my thought process, we have serial killers. You know, we have the slashers. We have the monsters. But I think on a day to day life perspective, we're drawn to this because it's the most relative Right. So how many people have kids? How many people have kids with dolls every day? At some point throughout your day, you can see an action figure. You can see a doll. You're not seeing serial killers on a daily basis. You're not seeing monsters on a daily basis. But at at some point throughout your day, you're going to see a little kid or you're going to see a little kid with a doll or some sort of toy. So we're drawn to these theaters. We're drawn to these shows because they could live in our house and we don't even know. And the realism that we're laying in bed one night and all of a sudden we hear a little noise, there's going to be that little piece of our brain that goes, oh my God, was that a doll? Yeah. I think a lot of that comes back to, you know, I'm sure each and every one of us had that experience as a kid where we had that relative that had a bunch of creepy dolls in their house. I'm you that know? relative. <laughs> I have I mean, 200 puppets in my basement and four porcelain dolls, five in my room right now. And his doll is staring <laughs> me in the face right now and I'm kind of terrified. Anna, give us a little background on your doll. Oh, so this doll, I also have hundreds of dolls. But the doll that I have here today that's uh, freaking Grim out constantly, which is why she's here, um, is a little Apple doll. And she is a Japanese collectible doll. And her name is Sinye. And I got her about 18 years ago. I found her at like this marketplace in Camden Town in London, which used to be like the goth capital of England. I was obsessed with her. Yeah, I've always been drawn to dolls. I don't know why, but I mean, I refuse to grow up. That's pretty much it. I cling on to my childhood as much as humanly possible, which I've probably displayed a lot with the amount of nostalgia I have for like 80s horror and stuff that I grew up with. But I think that's also a reason why people are drawn to films like Child's Play and doll movies, because it's it's part nostalgia, which everyone wants to cling on to in some way or form. 
But I also think a really big reason is that kind of what you guys touched on is parental fear. Everyone who is a parent is terrified that they're doing a terrible job, that their kid's not going to turn out right. And these films completely play on that parental fear of like, is my kid okay? And is my why is my kid lying? Uh, are they crazy? Is there something wrong with them? And it also plays make a John on... squirm. <laughs> Sorry, John. Yeah, can you see that? <laughs> um, no, and... you know what? You, before you even said that, I hadn't even thought of it that way. And now it's just added a whole nother layer of fear that now I'm going to be watching these movies in a completely different light. Yeah. I mean, if you try and like look at it from the parents' perspective, it's terrifying for them because they just think that they have done something wrong and their child is doing all these horrible things and they don't know why. And parental fear is something that every single parent in the world can relate to. But also from the child perspective, every child has been in a position where they say something to an adult and they're not believed, no matter how much they're telling the truth. It's because it's a child saying it, you're automatically like, yeah, okay, they're just getting carried away with their imagination or like stop lying. And being put back in that horrible childhood place of not being believed by itself triggers people. So you've got it from two completely right. different perspectives of what it can be triggering psychologically. It's like the fear of not being believed, the fear of being destroyed and not being able to say anything. Like the amount that Andy gets destroyed is absolutely horrifying. I mean, he gets taken away from his mother he gets taken away from any potential friends he could make because he's uprooted so often and he's never believed. So he just has carries around this stigma of being that crazy kid that killed a bunch of people and blamed it on his doll for the rest of his life and not because of any fault of his own. And his mother is still in a mental hospital the whole way through this whole franchise because of the first movie. He doesn't get to see his mother again. Yeah. The fact that something can do that is horrible. Which I think is what makes that moment in Cult where he uh, pulls Chucky's head out of a vault in his house. Yep. Like, cool, yep. this is the only person in your life and it is your mortal enemy, but it is the closest thing to you. Yep. I think that makes that really powerful. So here, here's an unca Uncanny Valley point that I'd like to touch upon. The Uncanny Valley makes us question our identity and our place in the world. And for Andy and Chucky... They're on these intertwining paths of loss of identity where Andy never got to have an identity to begin with and starts to find his identity in his role in fighting Chucky. Uh, and we really see that come into light as he's uh, becoming this reoccurring character in the series, uh, the TV series. And Chucky, which I think this makes Seed and Bride a little bit more important, loses his humanity. Not that he ever really had any to begin with, but his whole struggle is to like become human again he's trying to kill andy so he can be a human he's trying to uh, re-establish a name and a life for himself and eventually after seed and we get into curse and cult he's kind of accepted that this is forever and is almost trying to achieve this superior humanity status like the cult of chucky is the apex predator on this planet i think you both just really tied into one big topic that i think ties all three of these points together but, but what works 
why people are drawn to it in the uncanny valley but mental health as a whole and the psychological perspective of what it does to the person that is being affected by this what it does to the outside viewpoints of the people who see the person that's being uh, affected by this and the dynamic relationship between chucky andy and the rest of his victims because at the end of the day i mean listen as somebody who suffers from mental health issues myself my biggest fear is if I bring in, uh, an issue or uh, something that maybe I need resolved or something I'm feeling or seeing to the table, it's going to be quickly just thrown to, oh, well, that's because you deal with this ex mental health issue or that mental health issue. So, I mean, when you're tying in the point of the dolls as a whole perspective, that mental health field view is such a win to the killer themselves. And it's such a, a defeat when you're talking about the internal viewpoint of the victim. Because what do you do? How can you explain this to somebody that's not going through it? You're just, you know, to the outside perspective, crazy. Here's a pill. Yeah, I mean, there is yeah. a lot of moments throughout, um, particularly in cult, the treatment of people with mental health problems. It's, it's horrifying. And especially mental health patients in facilities like that's basically what cult was all about um but also in one of the only things that i enjoy about seed is that they kind of touch on the fact that like chucky gives a big speech about how he doesn't want to be human anymore and how he's a living legend as a serial killer because he's this killer doll and he can get away with everything and people just love him and the fact that they're even addressing in this fictional world something horrible about humanity, which is you kill a bunch of people and you will be infamous, is horrifying because no one remembers any of the victims. Like, they're just going to remember the killer. And so he touches on that and is like, yeah, fuck it. This is who I am now. There's no point of trying to regain humanity because everyone's made me famous and liked because I'm doing this. So I may as well carry on. He hard stops and says that exact sentence in, in the series. And it's so true. Just bringing that to life. Nobody remembers the victims. I, I believe I, that's, I believe that's what he, he stated. Nobody's going to remember you or the rest of the victims here today. They're just going to remember the number and they're going to remember my name. Yeah. I mean, with all of these points in mind, I think specifically... The film Dolls and the film uh, Demonic Toys, uh, they both really touch on what Anna was saying before, um, that kind of parental fear in the most visceral way. I think that they really do a good job of using that to make this story about more than just killer dolls. Like, one of my stances is, apart from Child's Play, most of these films focus they zero in on the doll and you spend so much time on the doll and it doesn't work we're watching it and its movements aren't really fluid or um they don't really touch that aspect of the uncanny valley sometimes you can tell that it's just somebody uh below screen holding the doll by its legs and bouncing it up and down to walk but dolls uh, Stuart gordon is a master of hiring the best practical effects artists ever and there is so much subtlety in the movement of the dolls like 
he'll he'll just kind of bypass them and it's a blink or it's your passing Isabel half doll formed in the attic and that image lingers with you and it makes you second guess things because you're not watching it you're watching what's unfolding they even do this great portion of the film where Judy is seven years old she's enamored with this place full of dolls and she is with Ralph who is an adult but a child at heart and so a portion of the film is Uh, Judy's dad not believing her because she's seven years old and going full attack mode on Ralph because he thinks that there is something more sinister to Ralph being a childlike adult. So you're watching this drama unfold. It's really funny the way that, I mean, Stuart Gordon, I've said this probably about a million times on this podcast, is like one of my favorite directors. He's just a freaking genius um and so underrated um but the way that he plays off the dynamics of the characters in that film is the most genius part as well as the doll design and the stop motion it's beautiful but the fact that it shows like you're definitely on a side like you're siding with judy and you're siding with uh ralph and you're also kind of siding with gabriel and hillary because they're like goals um even though there's yeah, like, I think that's just a you and me yeah. thing. <laughs> I don't know. I think they're goals. Um, I want to be old and live in a haunted house full of resurrected dolls that kill people who are bad. Who doesn't? <laughs> but the fact that like they are showing that people... And the, Judy's parents are terrible parents. You see it from the start. They're horrible. They do not listen to her. They don't respect her. They kind of just don't want her to be happy. They want her to shut up and stay in the corner. And... So you instantly don't like them. And then you have the two girls staying in the house who are just like, oh, we're going to steal everything in this house and like run for it and sell it. So we know they're bad people. So you're cheering on the dolls killing these people because they're the bad guys. But to them, the bad guys, the bad guys aren't even the dolls to them. They only, they don't even fixate on what's killing them. They fixate on the guy that is siding with the child because they think that's weird. And they villainize him instead of anyone else. They'll let you see a doll ki- like bite someone and they'll be like, but it's that weird guy who likes kids stuff. And I just feel like <laughs> the social commentary in that alone was genius. Yeah, yeah he I becomes think. the easy target at that point. Yeah. I think between the dynamic that we see unfold there, where, again, the dolls are not the central focus, and for the most part, the animatronics that they use and the combination of stop motion that they use really leans into that uncanny valley effect where it is fluid enough and they look human enough that our brains are like, I now have to expect this to behave like a human, and then when it doesn't, we're uncomfortable, we're shocked. Right. But... The dynamic in uh, Demonic Toys, as like fun and campy as that is, the real meat of the story is not the toys. Again, they're just a side piece. It's the demon that is trying to come through the uh, policewoman's child. She is constantly having these nightmares of two children playing war. Uh, one of them very clearly good, one of them very clearly evil. She's worried about the sake of what her child is going to grow up to be once it's born. And the whole film, from her perspective, is her battling this demon so that the good of her child can win. And we get that fully personified in that final fight. I think it's an interesting way to look at it. It's, again, bringing us back to the point of that parental fear. And then, again, the success that that movie has is that it doesn't focus so much on the dolls or the toys themselves, 
which is the first one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it's funny when you say, you know, a a demon trying to come through a vessel. It kind of reminds me of another familiar friend of ours, another somewhat creepy doll, or at least a doll that we hope would be creepy. Annabelle. And, and, you know, by default, Robert as well. Robert the doll. We all had the joy of just watching that movie. Arguably the best doll movie ever created. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. It was. It was. Classic. And now here's the reason why those two movies, besides their other many, many flaws, why those two movies and why Annabelle as a series does not work. We already talked about how you've got all these other themes that draw people to these movies. Parental fear, mental illness, you know, the perspective of is this actually going on and us trying to suspend our disbelief. Where the movies fail, Anthony, like you pointed out, is when we're focusing way too much on the doll. The doll is not the scary part. I don't give a fuck about Annabelle. (laughs) Yeah, that's why the first three Child's Plays work so well. We're seeing Chucky as this, you know, uh, 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 their take on the good guy dolls or the buddy dolls of the time. It's a real evolution through the process. Yes, And now we see him looking like a regular mundane doll. And the best movies just use a regular mundane, creepy looking doll. And it's not creepy because it's got furrowed eyebrows. It's not creepy because it looks weathered and has cataracts in one eye for (laughs) some fucking reason. (laughs) Both of them, Robert and Annabelle. (laughs) Yeah, that they're two peas in a pod, like Jenny and Forrest. So so that's where you start to lose people. That's when you start drawing away from the Uncanny Valley. Right. And that's why they're not as... Because those aren't going to be in your striking. house. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I think the thing that attracts people to the real life Annabelle and Robert is the fact that Robert is just this little plushy doll. Literally looks like a doll that I have in my son's crib. I was thinking about that you the other get, day. And you I'm better like, oh, throw Christ. that away. <laughs> he loves it. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> did, Send him did you on a nothing before we watched Robert? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the same thing with Annabelle. Annabelle's just a raggedy Ann doll. Yeah. But why do people feel so creeped out by them? It's the lore and the legends behind them. It's what we as people place on these objects, right? It's it's the fears that we place on them because of what our own imagination is creating. Whereas when it translates to film, we have to have this really striking and creepy looking design. I get that. They, they they work so much better when they lean into the mundane. Like Grim said, it's something that you're going to see in your home. It's your most li- you're more likely to see it there, sitting on your shelf, sitting on the mantle. You know, and that's why Chucky's design works so well because at the height of it, Chucky is designed after the biggest dolls at the time it came out, yep. the Cabbage Patch Kids. Yep. So everyone yep. had something yep. similar to Chucky in their home. I've only ever been scared of Cabbage Patch Kids. They're the scariest dolls ever. Just, I'm just yeah, putting that out there. They're the only the doll that doll I've ever, ever been. No, yeah. this is freaking cute. Cabbage Patch Kids yeah, okay. are just so... F- no, no, don't like it. Okay, wait. No, that's a really great point. Is that your doll, Anna, to some people now may seem somewhat creepy, but you brought up the, the background of the doll. It's a Japanese doll. Right. That looks very Japanese in design. Right. There's nothing inherently scary about it. It's what we're placing on and what Grimm is staring at it, you know, and going like, oh, my God, you know, it's, it's going to eat my soul. It's because she will remind you of things like the grudge and of like, 
the ring right. and she's she's that sort of stereotypical horror japanese design yes. that's there, why. There's, but she's actually really cute there's one specific movie um <laughs> that i know on these lists that i think proves john's point the most and it wasn't my favorite but to john's point the boy right yeah there was nothing about that doll except for the fact that they made you believe it was the doll because of all of the fears that we had from previous experience but realistically it was a real life human being living inside that house moving the doll making the doll do these things uh that were portrayed to us in reality we created the stigma and the fear around what that doll could be and in the end we were wrong i shit on the boy a lot and for all the right reasons it's far from a great film but it proves well, john's it point proves and it john's is far point. from the worst film that we've watched yeah it's arguably up in like the top three of these films which is terrifying <laughs> oh, definitely we've seen the boy too <laughs> <laughs> No, I wouldn't even put a top three. You're going to rule out the entirety of the Puppet Master franchise. It's got its farts, but like... I'm not counting every single the... Puppet Master film. There is too many of them for anyone to keep up with. Okay. Um, three and Retro are the most important Puppet Master films to, to take into account here because they go the extra mile to land period drama, which works more for the fear of dolls, whereas the present day... Uh, I'm going to put present day in air quotes because they take place in like the 80s up until 2012. Uh, Littlest Reich has some problems. But there's something to be said about the time period that the films take place in as well. So Dolls takes you out of the modern day and puts you in this home that is only lit by candles and you have to feel like you're in another time period. You're limited then. Puppet Master 3 and uh, Retro Puppet Master take you back to these like early 1900s where like dolls are the key thing that kids are playing with these theaters are full of people watching these puppet shows uh and they want to believe in them and to them for the most part belief is very suspended because they've already watched the puppets perform there's already this connection of i know what this doll is capable of i know that six shooter with his six arms can fire six bullets into doll hitler um so there's a little bit more of a desire to believe that it's the dolls. It's then the fear of how do you stop something like that? They throw them against the wall. They smash them. They burn them. And nothing stops them. Fun fact also, because all the full moon movies are uh, connected. And, um, you know, you got Stuart Gordon doing dolls and Stuart Gordon also doing reanimator. Reagent is technically also the thing that reanimates the puppets. Uh, after the secret to eternal life is stolen from Sumac is the demon? I don't remember. (laughs) So the link there is actually uh, From Beyond. So it goes, so Stuart Gordon did Reanimator and then did From Beyond, which is connected to Reanimator. And uh, From Beyond, Charles Band, who did Puppet Master movies and owns Full Moon Features, also worked on that. So I think that's where the tie comes in with those worlds colliding. I will also take a minute to mention that um, Charles Band also owns Delirium magazine along with Chris Alexander um, and they are sponsoring the festival this year so I just wanted to 
put that in there that we do love full moon features and we love delirium magazine i fully intend to do the full moon cinematic universe in order at some point <laughs> I, I do love the way that like as much as they get really ridiculous because they're kind of like the trauma of like puppet movies then like but that's the thing they, they don't <laughs> skimp on practicals no they are so good on practicals and they do like filmmaking wise they do a great job it's just it gets ridiculous sometimes but in a really fun way but i love the thing i love about yeah. puppet master the most is just the puppets and the practicals because they're all amazing and they're all such good like characters the puppets anthony you brought up a really good point before watching these protagonists do their best to get rid of these haunted dolls and you know demonic toys just trying to light them on fire trying to do everything possible and during you know during the prep for this episode i just kept thinking of that tweet uh, it says something along the lines of if i saw chucky in real life i would simply kick him and that's my favorite concept is like you're watching these movies and when it when they start to lose you you're just thinking about the fact that like this dude is like two feet tall. I could just, just kick him a out a window and it's fine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That is, it is just a doll. That is. But and maybe... somehow they're able to overtake us with the, with the superhuman strength of a full grown <laughs> Brad Dourif. Maybe that's what makes these things work as well, especially when it goes with puppets, because you're so used to being able to control puppets and control their actions. And it's the same with dolls. And another reason why it's so terrifying is because something you're so used to having control over, you suddenly have no control over and you don't know how to stop it. You don't know how to... That's an how excellent it's... point. So yeah, control is definitely a big fear for a lot of people and loss of control is definitely something to take into account, which I hadn't actually really thought of until you mentioned knowing what puppets are capable of because you see them perform. Well, that's a great Uncanny Valley point. So another reason why the Uncanny Valley effect really sticks with us is because when we see something in the shape or form of something we recognize, like a person, so dolls and puppets all take these humanoid forms mostly, we have expectations of how it's meant to behave and what it's capable of. So that element of control where we expect that a person is behind the movement of these things once you remove that person we're thoroughly creeped out because now it's making these movements and they're not backed by human motion they're not backed by any kind of control you're no longer uh able to hold this thing to the same expectations that you did before carl mcdorman uh roboticist put it best uh obviously the uncanny valley was coined by um masahiro mori uh, a roboticist who was exploring this in the 70s, but McDormand helped in one of the translations of the piece and kind of expanded on it a little bit more. It's a mismatch of stimuli. We have expectations. We know what the human norm is and anything that defies that even by a slight margin. And the more it kind of misses by that slight margin is the more we're creeped out by it. I think that hits on and speaks to, especially on the victim side, when you're talking about the uncanny valley, just the deterioration of your mental state, right? So when you're seeing these things come alive and you have those expectations, now you're in this state of panic going, is anything real? What's real? What's fake? How do I handle this? And to the point that it's just a doll, that theory kind of goes out of, of out the window, cause, right? Because all four of us can sit here right now and go, if a doll jumps through my window, I'm going to take this bat that's sitting next to me. I'm going to hit it. But if a doll, if a doll jumps through <laughs> yeah. my window and starts to attack me, 
I don't know if I'm actually going to have that thought process. Now, if I make it out of that, this room, I'm going to question everything. I'm going to question everything I know now because what I thought to be true isn't anymore. It, it might, these movies just came to life and I don't know if I'm going to have that same logical thought process or if it's even possible to have that same logical thought process through something like that happening. And then now I got to go tell people about it. At the end of yeah. the day, it's just your mind just starts fading. And as you it's it, honestly, I'm going to go a segue real quick, but it almost works to the fact that the same way that Freddy Krueger does. Right. It's the belief system. The more you believe, the deeper you go and the deeper you go, right. the easier it is to be killed. Grim, I didn't realize that you were going to connect uh, your theory to Toy Story so well and give us an insight <laughs> into Sid's mind. <laughs> uh, I love Toy Story. <laughs> the death of logic and the deconstruction of identity are two really big factors in the uncanny valley questioning your place in the world questioning your mortality that is where like i really want to emphasize one of the films that did this the best is magic magic is you watch uh anthony hopkins totally lose himself he is this total deconstruction of identity loses whether or not it's him or the doll you spend part of the film trying to figure out whether or not it's haunted or if it's just him losing himself and there are some nice moments where the doll is moving without him but he's so far gone and we're so invested in watching him that we don't actually know whether or not this is us watching from his perspective or his mind or if the doll is actually haunted uh, magic is the apt name for this film and they mention you know Make your audience look in one direction while you do something else because that's exactly what they do to us. We're not focused on the doll. He's just there. We're focused on this man's uh, rise to stardom and then decline in mental health as he's trying to find his place in the world. And Fats is this beautifully constructed dummy. And while he has so many stereotypical dummy attributes... One of the most unsettling things, which is where you're looking anytime he speaks, is his mouth. They gave him human teeth, and there's one scene that will stick with me forever. Fats smiles, and because he's a dummy and his face is wooden and doesn't move, his top lip raises, which is so not the way that the human body works. So his top lip raises, we see these rows of human teeth, and we're just meant to sit with that. Like, yes, this is a normal thing here. Everything about magic is the art of subtlety. They even go so far as to use one of my favorite film effects, the Kuleshov effect, to give Fats his own presence, I guess. The Kuleshov effect is when you take a shot of one thing and then you put it side by side with a shot of another thing. And your brain tries to connect it and make a story. So even though Fats's expression does not change, whatever's happening in the shot that they show you prior to showing Fats' quote-unquote reaction, you are then imposing your thoughts and ideas on what is going through Fats's mind. You're trying to give this thing, because it has a human face, you're trying to give it emotion and reason and logic. But it's it's not there. The, the, te the teeth are one thing. The fact that they managed to match anthony hopkins eye color for fats as well i noticed it's that so as well. striking Every I, just move, I just try to move my top lip now i'm trying to move my top lip no it's not a thing it's so you can't do <laughs> um, it you can't do it and no. I, if, like that is so creepy but even like the, the i don't know they make the doll an extension of 
Anthony Hopkins to sorry Anthony Hopkins he's English and Knight right Sir, Sir Anthony Hopkins Sir Anthony Hopkins sorry, yes. all right our bad um I'm the one who's supposed to say that you guys don't have to say that um <laughs> not knighted in your country they make him such an extension of Anthony Hopkins in um like physical characteristics and movement and things like that but the juxtaposition is when he speaks like a lot with like what made Chucky so freaky in the first film is when you do eventually hear him speak you're like I did not expect this voice of this misogynistic guy shouting bitch coming out um (laughs) and it's the same with Fats in Magic is just like when he speaks it's almost I mean, we're meant to believe it's like the inner dialogue of Anthony Hopkins' character that like he just doesn't want to say out loud. But it's it's hard to differentiate because it's just such a different side of what we're seeing. Yeah, it's that cognitive dissonance that we get where we're going, okay, I can, I can see where the voice is coming from, but it doesn't match up my expectation. Which, again, it's the subversion of expectation, and that's what makes these these movies work so well. I think subtlety is key with these. The more subtle you can be with it, the more effective that it is. A lot of these films where they go wrong is that they try and do too much. They try and overcompensate. They come up with convoluted storylines, Annabelle. Um, (laughs) And they come up with these excessive motions that take you out of the realm of believability for what a doll is capable of. Another where, where Child's Play excels is Chucky has his shortcomings. He has his shortcomings as... A doll. There's a reason that he tries so hard to be human for a while. Um, but Chucky's scary because he adapts. Uh, and that's where we get that uncanny valley again because there's our instinctual mind for threat avoidance. Dolls have front-facing eyes. We recognize that as being the mark of a predator. Uh, so the more human they are, the more we view them as something that is in line with us on the food chain. So we're trying to avoid that. And now when we see a predator adapt, we know that it is now something worthwhile of being afraid of dead silence is one of my favorites on this list i love that movie there is a whole new level of this predator's ability predator mainly being mary shaw mary shaw and charles lee ray both have that element where their soul or a soul can be transferred into a doll at any given moment you don't know what inanimate object around you is safe and what isn't Dead Silence goes that extra mile where, spoilers, obviously, (laughs) um, the end of the film, you discover that even some of the people that you've been interacting with have been dead and transformed into ventriloquist dummies. And that's horrifying. And that really triggers that uncanny valley where our internal threat avoidance tells us to avoid things that look like uh, they are diseased or dead or maybe a danger to us. But... When it is so close to lifelike that you can't tell, you're getting in too close. You're getting into that danger zone. And, you know, our protagonist's own father is now a part of this. <clears throat> but also the thing that, that really works great. with both Mary Shaw and um, Charles E. Ray is the fact that we they do something that pretty much no other slasher film does and gives a reason as to why they cannot be destroyed. And, it, I mean, that's just proven in Cult. They just make a point of being like, he can be in anyone, and now he's in every single doll, so you can try and kill them all if you want, but he's still going to be somewhere. Um, 
And that's the same with Mary Shaw. You can destroy one of her dolls, but she's still gonna... I mean, you see how exhausted Andy is. I mean, like, even in the end of number two, like, Kyle's like, come this way, like, when they're in the toy factory, like, you're gonna die. And he just gives her this look of just, like, does it really matter? And he's a little baby. <laughs> and he's just so yeah. exhausted. Yeah. And, like, that broke my heart. My, like, all my maternal, like being was just like oh my god i want to bring him home the thing that makes them so <laughs> terrifying and why it works so well is because there is a legit legitimate reason why they cannot be killed and nothing you do is going to destroy these entities and that's why charles play gets away with having so many films i mean every slasher has a million films but charles play it makes sense because he, he literally cannot die he can die you just have to you know gotta catch them all <laughs> <laughs> and here we sit at the intersection of the Pokemon and Child's Play universes. I mean, there's a reason why this has been a a conversational topic and a topic for stories and films forever. It works. It's something that truly unnerves us. And it's something that, like Grim was saying, we kind of experience every day. I could go on and on about the Uncanny Valley forever. It is one of my favorite effects. I was born and raised in the Uncanny Valley. I would love for us to come back to this topic with some other topics uh, that fit into the Uncanny Valley and horror. For now, I feel pretty good about everything we've covered with uh, how it affects dolls and our perception of them in these films. So with that said, do you guys want your fear of the day? Go for it. I noticed something on the spreadsheet, and that is that one of you have discovered it. I was gonna, I was gonna be petty about it and change it, but I'll give it to you. The fear of the day is pediophobia. The fear of feet. Grim, would you like to tell us what <laughs> it, it is, is? The irrational fear of dolls is believed to be a type of automonophobia or fear of humanoid figures. I'm mad you found it before we did the episode, but good on you. <laughs> we were doing an episode about dolls. I wanted to know what the fear was of them. Yeah, I probably <laughs> would have guessed match. dolls or children from that word. Yeah. <laughs> Pe pedophobia is the fear of children. Pediophobia oh. is uh, the fear right. of dolls. My mind went to podiatrist, so and I thought it was the fear of small feet. <laughs> 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 tell Grim what he's won. <laughs> A chance to tell us what your recommendation of the day is. Uh, okay, my recommendation of the day is hypochondriac. Um, it is something that I actually saw over the past summer, and it really ties in to mental health. Uh, it is a psychodrama. A little bit lagging on the horror aspect, but really dives into the depths of how the mind and create fear within uh, from early childhood trauma and uh, come back and rear itself out when you get older. My recommendation is the OG Puppet Master. I feel like it's kind of a, a cop-out in some ways, but the, the first one is just so good. Um, the character designs are so good. I, I, I watched this movie on TV so many times as a kid, probably starting from when I was far too young. But please go out and watch the OG Puppet Master because it's a really good time. Super campy and very telling of, uh, I think, 1989. So just on that cusp of 80s, 90s toy horror. It's the year I was born. Me too. Yay. 
My recommendation is the only Stuart Gordon that I haven't uh, recommended so far, uh, which is uh, his episode of Masters of Horror in 2006, I believe. It's the second episode of the first series of Masters of Horror, um, and it's uh, Dreams in the Witch House, which is a H.P. Lovecraft adaptation in a modern setting. Very good. Got nothing to do with dolls, but it's fantastic and horrifying. Um, So yeah, that's my recommendation. And uh, I would like to recommend There's Someone Inside Your House, which is available on Netflix. Doesn't really tie into what we're talking about today, but it is a fresh and fun take on classic slashers. It made me feel like this is what Scream 5 should have been. I agree with that. Little dig on the way out there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, gotta go. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Hauntsville Cryptcast. I'm Anthony. I'm Anna. I'm John. And I'm Grim. Happy haunting. Stay weird, everybody. Stay weird, everybody. (laughs) 